F. F. Do you ever remember getting an F? F. Ever gotten an F on a quiz or ever gotten an F on a report card? I'm drawn back to middle school and remember getting an F and hiding that F underneath my bed. I didn't want my parents to know about this F. And back in middle school, we had to get that uh, test grade signed by our parents. Whether it was an A or an F, you had to get it signed to let your teacher know that your parents saw it. And I remember feeling such embarrassment and such shame and such fear of what my parents were going to think about that F. Uh, today, we're, we're looking at uh, resurrection power in our failures. Yeah, resurrection power in our failures. Last week, we looked at resurrection power in our doubt, and we looked at um, doubting Thomas. And so today, we come to resurrection power in our failures. And so Jesus, after rising from the dead, wants to encourage all of his followers and all of his disciples. So he starts visiting them physically, bodily, after the resurrection. There's a period of about 40 days where Jesus does this. And so that's why in the Christian calendar, we're still celebrating Easter. It's that period where Jesus has risen, and now he's making post-resurrection appearances to different uh, individuals. Today, he shows up to Peter and the disciples. And this is a classic, very famous interaction that Jesus is going to have with the same person that denied him those three times. So this is the first interaction that Jesus and Peter are going to have since that last interaction where Peter failed him. So there's our what's this going to be like moment. So let me, uh, let me read our text for us and then we'll, we'll get started here. Found in uh, the book of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in a boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore. For there were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found some breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. So three F's. Three F's we want to look at today uh, regarding failure. The first one is failure and failures invite us to learn humility. 
When you and I fail, we have an invitation waiting for us. We can, we can cover it, we can hide it, we can deny it, or we can actually grow in our humility. The second F we'll look at is failures are used by God to reveal God's grace. There's some miracle that's going to happen to us once we're able to embrace God's grace in that moment of failure. And the last F is failures remind us to rest in Jesus, our great provision. The very first F here, failures invite us to learn humility like nothing else. (laughs) Failure is a good thing. Failure is not final. Uh, In our story today, before Jesus provides for them, he actually asks them a question. I find that very intriguing. Uh, Jesus does this in other parts of Scripture. If you'll remember Jesus feeding the 5,000, John chapter 6, verse 5, he asks them a question. He invites them in on the process of the miracle he's about to do. He doesn't just see your need and see my need and just solve it, but he invites them in. In verse 5 of chapter 6, he says, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? Remember that miracle? Jesus knows how he's going to do it, yet he wants the disciples real with the need. He wants them really feeling the challenge and understanding that they aren't the ones that are being called to actually do it. Same way in our story today about the fish. And have you caught anything? Jesus asked them in verse 5, if you see it there, have you caught any fish? Don't you love the simplicity of the disciples' answer? No. Just a a real quick one answer, uh, one word answer there, no. Um, Basically, to to summarize that, it basically means we got nothing. We we, we got nothing. same way, uh, if, again, you, you think about there with the disciples, when Jesus asked, uh, where can we buy bread to feed all these, peop- these people? Uh, Philip, you'll remember, replied, Lord, if we worked for months, we still wouldn't have the resources to feed all these people. Do you see the similarity there? That, that, that Philip is basically saying, we got nothing. We got, I, I'm learning here as a disciple of Jesus, and perhaps you are too, that Um, In my weakness and in my failures, the invitation is just to admit, I got nothing. I got nothing. Um, Before healing the lame man in John chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, do you remember what Jesus asked this man? Would you like to get well? Think about that question. The lame man replied, I can't, sir. There's tremendous power in admitting that you can't. And that's my point in saying this, this uh, very first thing here today for us, is it's resurrection power that you're needing and being called to rely upon. It's not your own strength and your abilities. Uh, this layman says, I can't, sir. And so I just ask you a question. What keeps you and me from saying to God, I can't, I can't. Or is it maybe our American Western tradition that's gotten us so used to saying, I can do it. I know I can. I know I can do it. I will do it. Um, Jesus never turns away uh, people who admit their need. Like if we could summarize the entire Bible, just, just sort of real quickly here. Jesus never, ever shames or turns away or judges someone who says that they are in need. Remember uh, Jesus in Luke chapter 5, he says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. 
I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and those who know that they need to repent. So please please hear this. It's when we admit need, that's when God is getting ready to do a miracle in your life. No joke about it. All seriousness. Admit need, get ready for a miracle. Try to fight for it. Try to do it yourself. Be assured of a hard time. The second F here is failures are used by God to reveal God's grace. Uh, Verse 5 and 6. Jesus gives us more than we need. Were were you paying attention here? Um, (laughs) Jesus takes nothing and makes something out of it. Uh, Throw your net on the right side of the boat. They'd fished all night. They're tired. Um, There's this person on the shore, um, maybe acting like a smart aleck, saying, hey, if you'll just do this and... If I were in that boat, I'd probably go, yeah, right. We've been out here all night. You don't understand. Just shut up already. Um, Jesus takes nothing and turns it into something. He says they can't even haul the net in because there's so much fish in it. Look in verse 11, 153 large fish. I mean, how much did this net weigh? 153 large fish are in there. And I've read several commentaries um, about this. Why 153 fish? I mean, why does John put this in the text, right? That's your question. That's my question. Quick answer, I don't know. Um, Other than to say, God loves to overdo it. God loves that in your failures, he's going to reveal his abundance. That's the loaves and fishes story. You've got five loaves, two fishes. I'm going to feed 5,000 of y'all. And there's going to be 12 baskets of leftovers. What? That's the same principle that's happening here. 153 fish for seven disciples and Jesus, really? Are they really going to eat that many fish tacos? I doubt it. But there's an abundance. And what I'm calling you to do and what the text is wanting you to do is remember a time when you were in desperate need and you cried out in that need, in humility, and you saw God provide. Maybe it wasn't about fish. Maybe it was your rent money. Maybe it was a relationship that seemed totally over. Maybe it was uh, something that happened this past week. But remind yourself. Remind yourself of how God showed up for you in a beautiful, powerful way to provide for you in a way that you couldn't do it. Um, Jesus is a different type of mathematician than we are. I need to hear that with things that I go through in my normal day. I'm, I'm normally trying to figure it out. I'm normally trying to assess, is this even possible? Can I do this? Can we do this? And uh, Jesus is so different in how he's going to provide for us. Let's take a look at Peter here. How's Peter going to respond to seeing Jesus? Again, place yourself in the story. Imagine that you had denied Jesus just before Jesus is going to the cross. You'll remember Peter being asked there, The very night that Jesus is betrayed, he's beaten, he's spit upon, he's whipped, he's arrested. And there in the courtyard, others are looking at Peter saying, did did you know him? Or, hey, I thought you were a part of that group that was following him. And Peter, on three consecutive responses, says, I don't know the man. I'm not associated with him at all. Place yourself in that if you and I had failed Jesus in that way and now you're going to interact with Jesus right after that. What is that going to look like? This is not like a parent that's going to look at you after you've broken curfew and you come home 
and they're all mad with you, or you have that failing grade hidden under your bed. Um, this is a different, much different person. Um, notice here how Peter, um, what, what he does when he, when he sees Jesus. He, he, he jumps in the water and swims ashore. He moves towards Jesus. This is astonishing. Here's why. In your failure, in my failure, in those embarrassing moments of sin or choosing the way I ought not to, is that what we do? Do we run towards Jesus? Dare I say we run as far away from Jesus as we can get. And usually it's to hide what we've just done. There's embarrassment. There's fear of our failure. Uh, Yet as he begins to deal with his failure, truly, Peter, as he deals with it, he moves towards Jesus instead of running from Jesus. Verse 7 there, he jumps in out of the boat and he swims approximately 100 yards to shore. Wow. Um, like full on. I don't know how fast it was, but I'm, amazed. I'm, I'm just guessing he's super, super excited to see Jesus. Uh, Peter gets that his relationship with God isn't based on his past, but his relationship with Jesus is based on Jesus' past. Jesus' record of perfection for Peter. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we're here celebrating, that Peter gets and he's celebrating. Um, What is the loudest voice that Peter heard? It was that the work of Christ to procure, to produce righteousness for you based on his, his perfect atonement is accomplished for you. That's what Peter hears in his failure question for you and for me is, what, what voice do you hear in your failure? I mean, uh, when you've utterly blown it. When you've utterly blown it, what voices, what things are sort of going through my head and your head? Uh, some of those are, well, you deserve it. Some of those are, well, we should really start trying to hide this one. Um, the, the, I have a quick story here of b- being a teenager and inviting all of my friends over to come and do weightlifting in my parents' house where we had a little, um, little workout gym that we had created. And as we're lifting weights here, um, we had the idea to take the big uh, barbell here um, and, and take all the weights off of it and, and, and add on larger ones. And, and the only problem was as we were taking off the, bar, or the weights on the right side, you can imagine what happens, someone's already guessing what happened here, is, is that the barbell just goes straight up because of its weight into the ceiling and knocks a big hole right into the ceiling. Oops. Um, like not even thinking, right? Just having fun lifting weights together. And my first kind of knee-jerk reaction was, besides a few expletives, was, oh my gosh, we need to hide that. Like, the paint won't work. Like, like, we end up taking, like, a bunch of, like, almost like a pillow and just stuffing it in there. Ridiculous, right? Think about how silly that is, uh, that you would try to hide something like that. Um, yet, a lot of times, that's what we do with our failures. And that's what we do with our sin, is we try to, we, we try to cover it up. Um, yet, the voice that Peter was hearing And the voice that you and I ought to hear in our failures, instead of those voices that lie to us, is the voice of Jesus inviting us to come closer. Look look here exactly uh, how Jesus is responding to Peter. There's abundant grace to him. He he wants him to come and have breakfast, he says. Come and have breakfast. 
I mean, this is, this is astounding to me. Jesus is making fish tacos, and there's not a sign above his little table that says breakfast for failures. It, he, Jesus just doesn't go there. Breakfast for losers. Jesus doesn't do it. He could do it, chooses not to do it. He chooses rather to, to be a person of grace and give us good news that grace covers your failures. Grace says no matter how far deep down your failure goes, grace is bigger than that. No matter how often this mistake or failure keeps coming up in your life, grace is so much bigger than that. No matter how great the guilt is that you you and I may feel over the failure, grace is larger than that. No matter how dishonorable the action was or the thought was, God's grace is so much larger So as a display of love, Jesus makes breakfast for failures. (laughs) That's you and me. And once again, I say, I think in our culture, perhaps in your family of origin, it's taboo to talk about failures. Uh, We we think it's taboo, perhaps, to talk about failures. And and so we have these mechanisms to fight against failure, such as denial. We do. It normally doesn't work, but we try to deny failure. It. Another one is blame shifting. Oh, I failed? No, you just think I failed. It was so-and-so that did it. Or it's the system. Or it's this person who did that. Anything I can do so that it's not on me at all. Um, another one is, and this one's classic, fake it till you make it. Right? There's no failures involved. Um, we got it. We're good. Another response that I think we can have to failure is being utterly crushed. Some of us, in making a mistake or a failure, uh, our identity is so attached to our competency. What we get done or what we, what we leave undone is we, we are utterly crushed when something like this happens to us. And yet growth and change in the gospel, hearing Jesus' good news to you, means that when something like, like, like this happens to you, you're not crushed. It doesn't kill you. You can move on after a failure. That, that, that your story's not over. Um, the, the last one here, the, the last F, failures remind us to rest in Jesus. Um, resting in Jesus basically means here in verse 12 where he's saying, now come and have some breakfast. And our inclination is to be wowed by Jesus' miracles, Right? Once again, the, the feeding of the 5,000 story, the John chapter 6 passage, the crowds focused more on the miracles than Jesus himself. They were so wowed by, oh my God, did you just see what happened? Like, who is that? They're so wowed by this. And Jesus ended up telling those people, this is the work that God wants you to do. Not the miracles. I want you to believe. I want you to believe in the one who can work the miracles. So the miracles are signposts leading us to Jesus. The disciples saw that uh, many other miraculous signs in addition to to those recorded in the book of John. And John says, these are written so that you may believe in the one that God has sent for you. These aren't written so that you can think, man, today I've got to go do some great things for God. Today, I, I've got to be a superhero. I've got to rely on my own power and my networking ability. And rather, the good news today through this story is God wants you to boast in your inability 
to provide for yourself. God wants you to look at your own net, whether it's net worth or your resources or your future. And as you look in that net, you and I are prone to say, oh, it's full. And I put it there and it's in good shape. Or we're prone to say, oh, my God, it's so empty and there are holes in it. And how's this all going to work out? And what he's inviting us to do is to do what the disciples did on that very night when Jesus said, have you caught anything? I love that question. He knows the answer. It's an invitation to be real. It's an invitation to get honest with ourselves and with God. And the disciples model it beautifully. They get it right. And they say, no, we've caught nothing. We got nothing. Um... Summary here for us um, is, do you believe this? Do you believe that whatever situation that's coming up, whatever need that you have, whatever crossroads that you're at, that God can do it? God can fill the net. Even even though, literally, in spite of you not seeing it. Once again, I would have have been the disciple in the boat thinking, this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. That some stranger, notice they didn't even recognize him. Literally some hippie, whatever, stranger from the shore is like shouting stuff at us, like what to do. Like, no, no, we've been in the boat. We know what to do. We've been at it all night. Jesus uh, gives us good news, and his response to failure is, I'll make breakfast for you. I'll make breakfast for you. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, classic text where he says, Come to me, all of you, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Come to me and you will find rest for your very soul. And this always means, coming to Jesus always means relinquishing control. Always. Surrendering, letting go of any idea or imagination of what you and I thought it was going to look like. The disciples, I guarantee you, had no idea that 153 fish were about to jump right into the net. What got them in there? God's provision. God's plan. Dare we say God allowing them to have an empty net all night long. And that too hurts. And it's very painful as we wait So in conclusion, in our failures, let's learn to admit failure and let's learn to admit need. And this seems very fearful, but it's very actually very freeing the more that you and I learn to do this together. And in our failures, let's receive God's grace. Stop beating yourself up because of failure. Stop it already. Stop. Jesus doesn't view you that way. Jesus is not looking at you as a failure. So stop condemning yourself. Stop being so judgmental of yourself and others in their failures. God's grace covers all, yes, all of our failures and all of someone else's failures. And lastly, in our failures, rest in Jesus. Because Jesus is alive, because Jesus rose from the dead, go have breakfast with him. Seriously, go have breakfast with Jesus. In your busyness, in my busyness, sometimes Jesus is the last person that we have time to spend, to spend with. Right? The iPhone's full of the appointments and tasks and to-dos, which are great, and we should be about those, yet the encouragement is go spend time with Jesus. 
Carve out time. Value that time. Prioritize that time to be in Jesus' presence. Whether it's early in the morning, late at night, to taste and see that the Lord is good that we were just singing about. The Lord is good. Taste it. See it, he says. Let's pray together. Father, we are these people. Week after week, we read these stories, and it, it, it would be easy for us to just distance ourselves from the story and, and say, this doesn't relate to me. Yet, the more we see ourselves in the story, uh, Father, we are these very people. Last week when we looked at Doubting Thomas, uh, we are doubters. We are those very people that say, unless I see the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, and unless I touch his side, I will not believe. And, And we thank you, Jesus, that you show up to us in our doubts, just like you did to Doubting Thomas. And and you show up to these people, such as Peter, in his failure, and you redeem those people. So God, we thank you that you're a God more than of second chances, but a, a billion and more chances. In fact, your mercy is new every day. It's fresh. So God, help us understand and even admit our failures and help us believe that you love us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.